A quick hello to start the show. Welcome to the show, Mark Schaefer. And I can see you laughing. I think you've just eaten your afternoon tea, or is it your morning breakfast? Ah, uh, um, <laughs> no checking on a construction project at our house. Nothing as glamorous even as tea or breakfast. Right, okay. Well, construction problem, problems or situations are great. We always start the show with people's brand SERPs. That's the thing. I'm a brand SERP guy, and I always look people up online, look up your name, and you've got a really interesting brand SERP. It's one of the, the, the more interesting ones that I've seen over the last few months. So if you can show that first screen, we have the brand SERP, which is mm. absolutely delightful because you've got your site there, which is great, with all the rich site links, which, which isn't terribly common for people. Twitter box is fairly common. On the right-hand side, you've got a delightful knowledge panel, um, and right at the bottom, if you can take off the We Are Live banner, right at the bottom, you see you haven't claimed it. Now, if I may give you a piece of advice, it would be to claim it because it gives you a certain amount of control over what you can do. Right at the bottom, there's a little button there. Um, you can claim that knowledge panel, and it allows you a certain amount of control. But then from that knowledge panel, which is really sexy with all those books and the people and the description, is because you come from the authorship world, if we show the next slide, if you look up your name in the knowledge graph as opposed to a knowledge panel, you get a fictional character. So Mark Schaefer is actually a fictional character and you do not appear at all. And this is where, for me, the surprise comes in. Anyone who's been following the podcast will understand why this is wild. If you show the next screen, if I do a reverse lookup, which is find your knowledge graph ID and look you up, I do find you. Mm-hmm. So anybody who's into knowledge graphs and knowledge panels is going to find that incredibly interesting. You appear to find it fairly mundane. So right. on to your books. <laughs> I do. <laughs> right. Well, I, how many people do you think search your name every month? I have no idea. Ah. Well, you're relatively famous, so presumably the number is relatively high. The number for me is quite low because I'm not famous. So the number is relatively high, and the people who are searching you are actually really interested in knowing more about you. Wouldn't having more control on that right-hand side be interesting for you? Well, wouldn't it be more interesting for you to be more famous? Yeah, I don't think that's the point of the question, really, Mark. But, you know, if... if, I, th if I, 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 th I think it is, because you can go two ways here, right? So if, you, if you're looking for me, you know who I am, and you can find me. I don't have to depend on Google. Have you, you heard of Rand Fishkin by any chance? Pardon me? Have you heard of Rand Fishkin? Of course. Yeah, some of the information about him in his knowledge panel was incorrect. That must be a problem if the information that Google is presenting is incorrect. Yeah. So that might be a good reason to actually start to think about controlling it. Well, I mean, I think you should. I think you should be uh, aware of it. I think you should be uh, smart about it. But I think we really have less and less control of what's going on with uh, with search. Uh, right. Okay. I mean, so the solution I, is I, just to give up. That's absolutely brilliant. Let's move on to your book. Cumulative advantage. No, what do you What do you mean up? by that? I, what, so, what was your question about giving up? Well, you're saying we have less and less control. So, why bother? Is what I understood. Oh, but I mean, so I mean, let's look at. So, so you mentioned that 
you're not well known. And so it's, it's really intensely important for you to get every edge that you can in, in your field through Google. Now, I'm a digital marketing consultant. There are millions of people like that. So how, how much can I really depend on Google to bring relevant people to me? It's really hard. Really, but really but hard. if they're searching your name, they're necessarily relevant. They're looking for you, as you rightly said. So yeah. I'm not looking to bring people to me. I'm looking to control what, what message people see when they search my name. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think when people search my name, they'll, they'll, you know, they'll find my website. Normally they know what, what, what they're, what they're looking for. And I think, so, I mean, those are the two choices that we have is we can be more dependent on Google or less dependent on Google. And I, and there's, you, you know, I don't, it's not that I don't pay attention to Google. Of course I do. We all have to, but I also think an important lesson here is to try to take ownership of your own audience and be able to you know build a mailing list, connect with them in a in a right. direct way. Which whenever. brings us neatly into your topic, which is that cumulative advantage. Basically, if if you can take such control of your own brand image, you no longer need Google. You're actually directly connecting with your audience. Is that more or less the idea? Well, that's one of the ideas. I think that's been sort of the trajectory of of my career, let's say over the last 10 years, is how how do we stand out? How do how can people find us in an increasingly noisy world? I wrote the first book on influencer marketing back in 2012 when I saw this trend where, well, let's think about you know what the world was back, you know, what it was like back in 2012. We didn't really have a lot of control over our personal brand. We were just starting to create content. We were just starting to exert our power, but the power was shifting from ad agencies, media companies, where we, if you had a keyboard and a Wi-Fi connection, you could make a dent in the world. You could be heard. You could create your own influence. And I saw this opportunity being created that, that, we could take more control and and that this whole new really world of marketing opportunity was being created because the power was shifting from corporations and organizations and governments to people. And we now see, I think it was June of 2014, there was more content being created on the web by people than by media companies. And so, that's been sort of my trajectory since 2012 is okay. What do we do about it? How are we found? How do we, uh, how can we be heard? And, the fact yeah, and, and in, in, in your case, where are you found by your audience then? I'm, I'm terribly intrigued. I mean, is it Facebook? Is it Twitter? Is it LinkedIn? Is it your own site? Uh, well, that's a really good question. That's part of the, that's part of the problem. There was a, uh, a series of three white papers that was created by Google at the end of 2018 that said the really the customer journey is sort of gone, that it's really hard to see where people are coming from, where it's going. Uh, I think with some of the new privacy things that are coming, it's going to be even more difficult. Uh, one of the ways traditionally I've made my income is through public speaking. Uh, if you ask 12 people back in the old days, like, you know, last February, 
if you ask the last 12 people, how did you find me? It's 12 different places, 12 different ways. So this idea of the customer journey is, is, is really, really fractured. That is an extremely challenging uh, problem for a marketer who wants to have some influence in all of those touch points. And so we have to, we have to think about connecting in different ways. But I mean, it's fractured and it's also multi-touch. I mean, you just said all those different touch points. So if you right. say to somebody, where did you find me? The answer is never Facebook, full stop. It's going to be right. Facebook, then Google, then your email list, then your website, whatever it might be. That order is probably completely wrong. But it, it's always this multi-touch approach and it's, all, and it's very fractured, which makes it very difficult to, as you rightly say, manage. Uh, and you're, you're think, talking about momentum. Sorry, guys. Yeah, I think it all comes down to the to again are are you known or not that's what it really gets down to hmm. if you're known you have a permanent and sustainable advantage and um, that's anton he found you on youtube but that's where he hangs out that's anton's favorite place yeah. to hang out yeah that's funny because youtube is about my 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 least populated channel i think and i'm not saying that's correct but you you only have you know I only have so much time in the day, yeah. And um, you know my the, the momentum begins as I talk about in my book with some initial advantage, and my advantage is I'm a writer. I'm a writer. I'm a compelling writer. People seem to believe me. They listen to me. I started yeah. with my blog, and uh, the blog led to books. The books became popular, and so and the then the books led to speeches. So. Typically, I would be on stages around the world at this time, and then so that that's that that's yeah. really the hard. And, and you started your blog back in 2012, or was that before in 2009? I started right. in 2009, and, and, and 2012 was the tipping moment in your mind when you said, "Actually, I need to get this flywheel going. I need to make my own audience." And you were saying the the advantage and that initial advantage. What we need to do is identify what that advantage is, and yours was writing. Is that? about right well it's it's part of it it's part of it i mean the initial advantage curiously as uh it, it comes from almost always comes from something random well, i mean i can i can point to a moment in my career it was probably in the early 90s where i was sort of stuck in my marketing position and i was looking around saying what am i going to do and the internet was starting and i had an idea of how there might be business applications for the internet. And I went to my boss and I said, I would like an AOL account. I'd like to put it on my expense account, $9 a month. After much debate, he thought it was a waste of money. He agreed. And it turned out some of my ideas actually worked. And a few years later, the company woke up. This was a Fortune 100 company and said, we need a global e-business department. Who shall run this thing? Oh, Mark, you've been on the internet longer than anyone, and some of your ideas have worked. You run the global e-business department, and that sort of kept the momentum going for this new uh, aspect of my career, which is a direct line right. why I'm talking to you today. It started, I pursued this curiosity I had about the internet. The opportunity was right. The time was right. And that sort of got the momentum going. Sure. So I can trace my conversation with you to a random conversation I had with my boss in the 90s. Oh, right. We, oh, I can I can trace this random conversation back to a, 
leaving a punk folk group in 1996 and trying to make a, an album for kids. And those random moments are wonderful. And, and as you're saying, the, the secret is to identify at that time what is your advantage. I mean, I'm terribly intrigued by that. I mean, you've identified yours. I've got no idea what mine might have been. You know, well, so you so you don't know what uh, why people value you. Um, no, I, sorry, I, I'm I'm kind of wondering. I'm I'm looking for that. You're talking about the flywheel. Is that you find this seed? I think you call it a seed, or is it a, uh, a, a stream? What was the word I saw? A seam. That was it. You find the seam, and it, uh, what I understand from that is, is it's a guiding line. What we would call in in French a fil conducteur throughout what you're doing and you need to stick to that and it's the kind of focal point of everything you're doing is that about well the initial the initial advantage is is really pursuing curiosity so mm -hmm. i mean i think some point in your career what you you had an opportunity to try something new and it seemed to fit so uh, a, a seam is a fracture in the status quo for me mm -hmm. in my story the fracture was the internet was beginning there was a fracture in the business world, and I sort of drove my ideas through that seam, and the momentum began. So it's, the seam is, is kind of a new way to look at strategy. Back in the 90s, strategy was a 50-page document, and you figured mm. out what are your core competencies, and you stuck on that forever. It was the My Michael Porter competitive advantage model, right? And then in 2012, Michael Porter went bankrupt because he didn't really anticipate the speed of business. And today, a, 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 a strategy is really based on a fracture in the status quo. Is there a, it's, a it's a function of speed and space and time where you see an opportunity right now, not a year from now or five years from now. You see an opportunity right now. Somehow there's a fit between your idea, your core competencies, and that opportunity right now. You go through it as fast as you can, and that's really the beginning of momentum. Right, and then that momentum, I mean, is, is it like a flywheel in the sense that it starts off very slowly and you have to kind of like stick with it you know, until it actually gets going? So the, so the, re the relation to the Jim Collins flywheel, it, there is a connection. So Collins writes that the flywheel is sort of – the activity that keeps things going, okay? Mm. Now, I, I've thought about this, actually, that I think my flywheel in my business are my books. When I write a new book, it's like a whole new opportunity to learn something new, to become an expert in something new. It's an opportunity for conversations with you, with new people, new uh, interviews, new a new topic for speeches so it sort of like takes me to the next level now what was the initial advantage that got me to a point where i could even write a book where i would have even have that opportunity to do something special to have the honor to write a book that lots of people read i needed momentum before i could even engage in that activity and so that I, momentum came from the blog Yes, it, it, it right. started. It's, it's, I mean, it started for me. It started with the blog, and the scene for me was in the early days of blogging. I mean, I had more than twenty. I had like twenty-five years of marketing experience. In the early in two thousand and nine, 
there weren't very, very many people with 25 years of marketing experience blogging. Mm-hmm. And, and so I had a unique sort of historical corporate perspective and I could see what was going on in the social media space and all the hype. And at one point I just kind of decided this is just wrong. This would never fly in the corporate world. And mm-hmm. so I started writing about more practical applications of social media. And the reaction was, thank goodness, someone is finally saying these things. The blog sort of took off. That led to books. That led to speaking. That led to more consulting. And so that's really how my momentum was was started. Um, and what was the secret that you had for creating what you call the vast awareness of, of your project? Well, there's two things that work together. So, so in the book, I talk about this idea of the sonic boom. And this is an important concept because things really don't go viral the way we traditionally think they do. We think, oh, one person knows about it, then they tell another and they tell another like a spider web. Hmm. There was research done a few years ago um, by Steve Rayson at BuzzSumo, and he showed that things go viral when people with relevant big audiences all start talking about your idea at the same time. It's not three months of a, of a rollout. Your rollout is two weeks. You want everything to hit in two weeks. Now, let's think about how this connects to momentum in a way. If I, I just got off a podcast a little while ago with a friend who, who does things similar to me, Jay Bear. He's got a blog. He's got a podcast. And I said, if, I bet if we compared the, the line that shows subscribers to our blog or downloads of our podcast, it would look the same. Steady, steady, steady growth. No big spikes, no big yeah. swooshes, no hockey sticks. He said, that's exactly right. And so building building momentum for your personal brand is just doing better over time, a little yeah. bit better month by month by month. Now, here's what happens. If you're at the beginning of your career, you're not really in a position to create a sonic boom because you haven't earned that credibility. You really can create a sonic whisper, let's say. Mm-hmm. But as you stick to it, as you have constancy of purpose, consistency, you don't give up. You keep going and going and going and build the audience. You become known. You build the credibility. Then you've earned the power to connect with people who have bigger voices and bigger audiences, and then you can create more awareness. So that's part of the part of the system, really. If you are consistent and you keep working, then your sonic boom, the awareness is going to get bigger over time. So it does work together. Right. Okay. I mean, so, so what I hear there is that you build up over time by being consistent and pushing, pushing out there. But when, when the moment hits, you have to see when that moment is and you've got two weeks to nail it. Well, I mean, two weeks, that's, you know, uh, a, a guideline. But the point, mm-hmm. the point is, I, I, and I use examples in my book where, uh, you know, you, it, it's not like the old days of rolling out a, 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 you know, a five-month plan or a 12-month plan. Really, the way to get the momentum going, to get the snowball going down the hill, is to hit it, give it everything you've got in a, like a two- to three-week period. 
And that's that's I've, I've used that principle on my last couple books, and it's worked really, really well. The books have continued to sell, 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 even if they're a couple years old, because oh. that momentum is going where people read it, then they love it, and they recommend it, and they read it, and they recommend it, and it just keeps on going. But you've got to get it started at the beginning through that vast awareness. Uh, well, it, one of the problems I think kind of a lot of people have is they start something off, it doesn't kind of catch, it doesn't start kind of rolling, and they give up. Now, yeah. is there not a danger that you keep banging away at something that's just never going to work? Sure. I mean, I think you have to give yourself a certain amount of time. What I counsel people, I think 18 months is a good time frame to see if you're, if it's going to work. And one of the things I, I encourage them to look at is sometimes you need to watch the qualitative measures. It's easy to look at the quantitative measures like, yeah. am I bringing in more money? But a qualitative measure would be someone heard my podcast or heard my live stream. They asked me to be a guest on their show. That's a qualitative measure, right? It shows that it's working. It shows that you're becoming known. You've got to pay attention to that. And if, if you keep seeing these qualitative measures, someone asked me to be part of a roundup post. Someone saw my content mm. and they wrote me an email and they asked me a question. It's working. It's working. You've got to keep going because it kind of like bumps along, bumps along, bumps along, and then it doesn't. It starts to go up. And yeah. so when I wrote my book, Known, I talked to 97 people who are known in their field all throughout the world. And I said, if you could give one piece of advice to these people who would want to become known in their field, what would it be? And every person used some form of the word resilience, consistency, grit. Don't people give up too soon? Right. So, so I 97 think, piece of pieces of advice, all of which contain the word resilience. And that's something the, like that. Yeah. And, and so I think the point is, is, is watch for those signs that it's working. Right. As long as you're getting input from the world that you're becoming known, keep on going because it's working and then it'll start to lift. Right. And I mean, the problem I think we all have as human beings is, I mean, quantitative is actually quite easy to kind of think, right, I'm getting this quantitative return. Yes. Or I can see it. So I'm motivated. Right. But qualitative is very difficult. You're saying one email or one contact in a month yeah. is really difficult to, I mean, well, I'm going to have to come back to the word quantify. It's difficult yeah. to quantify my brain to keep me motivated. Right. It's super hard. It really is. But you know, marketing is really hard today. <laughs> that a lot of the things that appeal to people are not easily quantified. We keep hearing in this marketing world that people want experiences, that yeah. if they have somehow, if they experience you, you create something compelling and entertaining that will lead them to talk to you, talk about you, to share your stories, to share your content. That's better than any ad you'll ever take out. If people are spreading your word, sharing your stories. Brilliant. Yeah. Sorry, I'll, I'll let you come back to that. I just wanted to say, Rui, I was talking to you earlier on. Big shout out to Rui, who's been helping me with the podcast and a lot of the promotion. The word I was trying to think of earlier on was advocates. Yes. And you've just reminded me of the word advocates. So, Rui, that was the word we were looking for earlier on. Please do carry on. Yeah. Well, and and uh, so, so 
think how powerful this is because you're exactly right. That is the precise word that it, when people are sharing your content, you know, they, they are now becoming advocates for you and your brand in a way they're saying, I believe in this person and I want you to believe in them or this oh, content taught me something. It inspired me. I want you to be inspired. And so that's really the key. I, that's why I think social sharing is actually a very, very powerful metric because the, ec the, the economic value of content that's not seen and shared is, is, is zero. Hmm. If it's seen and shared, that's what powers the value of digital marketing. And you made this keen observation. This is, some, this is very hard to measure. It's yeah. very hard to create attribution between some you know, people that are sharing, maybe not even online. Two thirds mm. of our marketing is occurring without us. Oh, no, that, that's, oh, sorry. I, 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 you made me think of something else. You're saying two thirds of our marketing occurs without us. So that's another point we should come back to. But you're saying a lot of it isn't online. And I was saying, let's bring the offline online and start to communicate what we're doing offline in an online environment which I find really interesting. I mean, in the days, as you said, pre-February last year when we still went to events, we would do all of this kind of one-to-one -one, um, networking and none of it would appear online so people and Google would not see it. And I like the idea of bringing that online. Uh, in fact, it's no longer true, but you, you're talking about something else. You're saying once I push the message out there, other people are amplifying it. Well, the yeah, the research shows that about 10% of the population across cultures are super sharers. They can't mm. wait to share a story if they see something new and cool. My wife is like that. If you're standing beside her in a grocery line, she will be telling you something about some new restaurant she found, some new bargain she found. She can't wait to tell you about something new and cool. So really, the mindset of marketing today is how do we create something that's relevant and interesting and authentic that people really want to share. What are our stories that, that we can really sort of arm these super sharers with right. to take our stories into, into the world? I love that. That's a really, really lovely way to end it. I think what I should have done is got your wife on the show if she's a super sharer, I would yeah. then become famous, and that would be, I would nail it for you. So, that's all you need is, is you need Rebecca on your side, and you're call it a day. Thank you very much. A quick goodbye to and the show. Thank you, Mark, and his wife Rebecca, who is there. But I would like her to share this podcast. <laughs>